Don't you wish there was a book in the Bible that helped you figure out how to live as a Christian? How to be spiritual? Well, we find that book in 1 Corinthians, don't we? And, and uh, we move from really facet to facet. And uh, I'm excited to uh, turn, open up to chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we're going to do it in two parts. Um, and uh, I trust God will speak to us um, through the word this morning. First Corinthians chapter 9, it's 27 verses long, um, and it divides pretty evenly. We're going to handle the first 14 verses this morning. I've entitled this sermon, Getting Paid. Many of you know um, Cliff Buttermore. He was our first lay elder here um, at Union Lake. I had served with him at my last church, but our roles were reversed. Um, at Berean Baptist, I was a lay elder while Cliff was a, a staff pastor. And uh, his official job was that of an associate pastor. He oversaw family ministries and children's ministries. He handled most of the administrative responsibilities of running the church and a whole host of other things. Uh, we lovingly referred to him as the pastor of bind, because whenever anyone was in a bind, it seemed like he was the one that was going to take care of whatever was going on. Um, I love Cliff, and I was delighted uh, that he uh, came to help us revitalize and stabilize this church um, in the in the early part of my ministry here. Cliff had been in full-time gospel ministry before he came to Union Lake. Uh, my memory says 28 years. It's certainly more than 25. Um, and uh, he had a pretty nice salary package over at, uh, over at the last church. Um, they uh, they have a big budget over there. They take care of their, pa their pastors well. They... Um, you know, they had uh, good health care and, and other benefits. Um, he earned a nice living, at least uh, in his later years, in vocational ministry there. Um, but he gave that up in order to come here. He came here and took on a lot of responsibilities. Um, but in order to do that, he had to go out and get another job. He sacrificed being paid at a local church in order to come to a local church and serve the people here. Now, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not at all rare in God's kingdom. Many, many leaders in God's church make similar sacrifices. Church planters and church revitalizers abound who forego a salary or take a, a very small salary from God's people for a whole host of reasons that are particular to that church, to that body of believers. They work a second job or seek support from other places in order to, to serve, which is often a substantial burden. Cleet Bontrager, down at Restore Church, in his early days there, when he and Mike were planting the church, he uh, ran a business of selling hubcaps, uh, essentially to make it where he could uh, serve the, the church there. It's a beautiful picture of laying aside one's rights for the good of others. 
And it serves as a powerful example to all who follow Christ to live lives of sacrifice in order to love people. We've encountered this theme in uh, various other areas uh, already in this, this book, this study of the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you're struggling with this call to lay down your rights in order to love people, this is a great text to listen in on. Listen to yet another example found today in chapter 9 here. An example of Paul laying aside his right to earn a living from the gospel he preached in order to love people. Okay, so that's what we're looking at this morning. Turn your attention to God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read those first 14 uh, verses. Our Savior speaks to us in these words. Pay careful attention. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve in the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. You might think this is the mother of all self-serving sermons, right? He's actually going to preach that he has the right to get paid for preaching while he's preaching. I appreciate the, the irony of that, right? But this text is about surrendering rights. Surrendering rights is part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's an essential part of being a spiritual person of being in the kingdom of God made possible by the Father sending Christ into the world and Christ sending his spirit into his people. 
Paul's already given the example of giving up legal rights uh, where, where, where one Christian could have certainly enforced those rights in, in a law court. And he's already talked about giving up the right to eat meat that could cause a weaker Christian to stumble because of their conscience. There's much freedom in Christ, friends. We've, we've talked about this. But laying aside those freedoms for the good of others is at the heart of Christianity. It, 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 is, it, it is the heart of those who have been rescued by a Savior who did so supremely. Paul put himself forward as an example at the end of the last chapter. You may recall, let your eyes just go just above our text there. Verse 13, he wrote, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Remember? So he put himself forward as an example there. Now, cultivating this attitude of willingly giving up rights was a chief reason was a chief reason why Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. Then as we open up to chapter 9, we see Paul leaning into his goal still further. This time concerning the right of those in gospel ministry being supported financially by the churches they serve. And once again, Paul uses himself as an example. Now, as an apostle... Paul had the right to earn his living from these various groups of people that he went into towns and evangelized and people got saved and he, he formed churches. He had the right as an apostle to uh, earn a living from these people. His willingness to forego that right to benefit the saints was a huge sacrifice, but boasted of great spiritual reward. A friend of mine used to say, live in such a way that you look to be paid in the coin of another realm. I was like that. Sacrifice here for Christ, in other words, and so store up treasures in heaven. Well, as we look at this, at this chapter uh, rather closely and examine the arguments um, that flow throughout these various verses, I hope to convince you of this theme, that giving up money for people is great reward. Giving up money for people is great reward. We're, we're going to simply look at it in those two parts of that theme, right? So we'll look at the right itself, right? The right to receive the money, firstly, and then secondly, look at the reward of laying it aside. Paul's right to be paid and his reward in foregoing that right. That's, the, that's how the chapter lays out. That second point, though, we're only going to get started today. Uh, it's going to be more fully developed in the second half of the chapter, and that's what, Lord willing, we'll look at next week. So first, the minister's right to get paid. In other words, to make his living from the gospel that he preaches. Okay, that's in these first 14 verses. Now, the first few verses are perhaps the hardest to understand initially. Paul asks a number of rhetorical questions. Maybe you're tired of them. He's asking like one after another. Uh, aren't I free? Don't I have the right to do this? Can I do this other thing, right? And at first read, it's difficult to see what he's getting at. But the context of the passage makes them clear. Look at the opening question, though, just to kick it, kick it off there. Do you see it? Am I not free? Am I not free? Begs the question, doesn't free to do what? 
Paul's saying that he's free to enjoy the rights that are his as a servant of Christ. You know, he, he would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.17, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But Paul's not being general here like he was in that text. Paul isn't talking about everything that God has given him to enjoy. He's being rather specific here. In chapter 8, he had written that mature Christians had a right to eat meat offered to idols. They were free to enjoy that meat that God had provided for them. Paul is now saying something very similar here. He has the right to something, the freedom to enjoy something that God intended for him. And what Paul's talking about isn't meat, of course, but his freedom to be supported financially by the churches that he served. He had the right to be compensated for his work. He had the right to earn his living from the gospel he preached. God intended him to enjoy that right. Now, some people are uncomfortable with this topic, right? I mean, the the most tense moments in the life of a church sometimes are the annual budget meeting in which the pastor's salary package comes up, right? Right? People aren't comfortable with talking about this as if it is somehow inappropriate for a minister to even think about uh, how he's going to make a living. Some people even have the unbiblical idea that a pastor has to be poor and work multiple jobs in order to be humble or spiritual or something like that. But that's not biblical. It's not right in the kingdom to think in such terms. Paul lays out in no uncertain terms that ministers have the right to be paid by the churches that they serve. As he puts forth these various arguments that that we're going to look at here, I want you to begin to feel the import of this right. It's important that that you do this, that as you hear God's word, as as we walk through it in these arguments about Paul has the right to make a living from the churches that he serves, I want... I want that right in your mind to grow in its import. I want you to see this as a big thing, a big freedom. As you become convinced of this right for ministers to make their living from the church, I want you to think about how substantial it is, how substantial a part it is in God's plan for his people. Paul makes an argument, first of all, from common sense, and then he moves to the canon of Scripture. So he's gonna, he starts off and he says, essentially, ministers should, should have the right to make their living from the church. First of all, it's just common sense. We see this in everyday life. And then secondly, he turns to the canon of Scripture and, and makes some application from the, the Holy Writ. So first, Paul's argument is that he had a right to receive support because common sense demanded it. And and we see this in all these rhetorical questions he asks. Look again at verse 1, the second question there. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, Paul will go on to say all ministers who work for the church deserve to make a living from their ministry. But Paul wasn't just any church leader. He was an apostle. He was handpicked by the resurrected Jesus. Christ appeared to Paul, of course, on the Damascus Road and and saved him and called him into service specifically as an apostle. I mean, we could go to a lot of different places, Acts 9, we we could read the account, but listen to Paul describing it in Acts 26. He says that he heard this voice, 
I am Jesus. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness, to open up the eyes of the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the commission where Christ calls Paul to be an apostle and fulfilling such a huge mission, friends. To go share the gospel throughout the Gentile world, there was not yet a witness. To do that required living on the support of others. Now just think about this. Put yourself in Paul's shoes here. You've been given that mission, and nobody has done this yet. You need to go to everywhere and establish the, the church of Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. Paul and his missionary team traveled thousands of miles over the course of years. One article I read estimated Paul's travel expenses to be more than $200,000 in today's money. Where would that money have come from? How would he possibly fulfill that mission without the help of other people, without the support of, of the churches? It would have had to come from the churches. Who else would fund such a thing? Surely he had been given resources from the church of Antioch, who had originally sent him and Barnabas out in Acts chapter 13. And we know the church at Philippi sent him money for his expenses many, many times. He references it in Philippians chapter 4. And Paul didn't start every Gentile church. He, he, he didn't. He, he wasn't the first one to evangelize in every city. I mean, he... he he brought people to faith, and sometimes they went back to their town and shared the gospel, and a church sprung up. That appears to be what happened in Colossae. But the Corinthian church existed because Paul shared the gospel with them. Paul founded the Corinthian church. In, uh, in, in chapter 3, in verse 10, he, he, remember he said, I laid a foundation, and now others are building upon it. Right? So while other churches might not have, have recognized Paul as an apostle, the Corinthian church certainly did. If no one else saw Paul as, apostle, as an apostle and thus deserving of their support, the Corinthians knew he was, he, they knew who he was. They knew it by their own experience of salvation through his message and this is what Paul's saying in the second half of verse 1 into verse 2 there. Apostles had the right to be supported by the churches that they established, by the men and women that they led to Christ. And so Paul, like the other apostles, were free to receive money in order to eat and drink, verse 4. Or, or to support their, 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 their wife and family, verse 5. They were free to be supported without having to work another job to meet those needs, verse 6. And that was the case with the other apostles. Now, this shouldn't be a strange concept. This idea of ministers making their living from the churches that they serve. It shouldn't be a strange concept because we see this principle in everyday life. And so Paul goes on to give three illustrations, three examples from everyday life where the people that serve in an area get paid from that area. Right? You see it there in verse 7. No one would expect a soldier to serve in an army for free. 
right? In fact, oftentimes that's one of the main reasons why people sign up because of the uh, of the of the package that's available to them. But certainly, no one would say like, "Hey, you need to enlist in the army. You're going to have to buy yourself a rifle first. And there's a store down the street, and you're going to have to pick up some fatigues. And it's got it's got to be the right ones." I'll, I'll let you know, you know, what you need to show up with, and uh, and you're probably going to have to pick up some work somewhere else too, because we're not going to pay you for your fighting. You're going to have to, you know, work at a convenience store at night. And, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? No one would expect a soldier to to serve at his own expense. Neither would someone plant a vineyard and have no expectation of eating of its fruit. And in the same way, no one would tend a, a, a flock and have no expectation of benefiting from those animals. Nobody works at these things and says, well, this is good work I'm doing, but I certainly can't benefit from it. I'm going to have to get paid elsewhere by working a second job or whatever. It's ridiculous. And Paul's just laying that out to them. But, but it's not only from, from everyday life. It's also found in the scriptures, right? It's not only common sense, but it's also in the canon. So Paul amps up his case by turning to the scriptures. Now, keep tracking with me here. There's gonna, the, we've got to lay the groundwork to get to the good stuff at the end. Okay? So hang in there. It's not just an argument to, you know, for argument's sake here. Paul turns, turns to the scriptures to further support, further bolster his case. Not only did common sense demand a minister receive his wages, but the Old Testament canon demanded it also. Paul next argues that he has a right to receive support from churches because God's word says so. Look at verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? The principle of a worker deserving his wages is, yes, common sense, but it's also embedded in the Bible. Paul first quotes Deuteronomy 24, which seems like an odd text to go to. That verse tells us that when a man uses an ox for threshing wheat, that is, you know, when the animal is tied to a stake and, and walks around on a, on, a, on a flat stone surface to smash the, the harvest and break the edible part of the wheat, you know, out from the, uh, the worthless chaff that surrounds it. When you do that, the ox should get some benefit from the work. He should be able to nibble at the wheat as he's, as he's walking around and doing this work. The principal, the worker deserves his wages. The worker deserves his wages. And if animal workers deserve to work in hope of payment, so should human workers. The principle is there. Paul reasons, for our sake, it's here. You see that in verse 10? This is for our sake. Farmers and ox, and yes, gospel ministers, should work in hope of being cared for. It is for their good and also for the good of the people they serve. Paul speaks of the rightness of this to the Galatians. Galatians 6.6, 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. That's essentially telling the church, you have good things. You, you make a living. You need to support the, the, the one who leads you spiritually. It's, it's, so it, it's there in Galatians 6 as well. A pastor who has his needs met is better able to spend his time praying and teaching and counseling and shepherding his people instead of mowing lawns and working another job, right? And so this principle of the laborer being worthy of his wages is for the sake of the churches and its ministers, 
If it is appropriate for those who sow material things, Paul reasons, like wheat, it is certainly right for those who sow spiritual things. You see that in verse 11? Paul's conclusion then is unmistakable. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Paul makes this claim based on divine authority, the Old Testament law derived from that Deuteronomy text. But it's also seen in the law's requirement that the priests served at the temple, the priests who served at the temple were to live off a portion of the sacrifices the people made to God. That's, that's why I had Vaughn read from Leviticus 6 this morning. The, law, the Lord saw to it that Israel's leaders would earn a living from the people they served. Paul says this in the second half of verse 12 to 14, and we see the principle in passages like that Leviticus 6 passage. Bring this kind of a, an offering to the Lord at the temple, and some of it's going to be laid aside for the priests and their sons to eat right there in the temple. In the courtyard. Just so we don't miss the connection to apostles and other gospel ministers, Jesus himself, verse 14, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, so we see it embedded in the Old Testament teaching, but we also see it off the lips of the Lord himself. Perhaps Paul was, was thinking of Luke 10, verse 7, when he, had, when he was sending out his disciples to do gospel ministry, and, and, and he talked about people taking care of them in, their, in, in houses, and, and he quotes, the, and he says this, the laborer deserves his wages. But why was Paul making this long argument to the Corinthian church? Maybe you're asking that very question this morning. Why are we going through this painstaking argument? We get it. Pastors should get paid. But why is Paul making the argument here? If you've been drifting off, zoom on back in. This is the good stuff. Remember I told you that I, I wanted you to feel the bigness of this right, the, the import, the weight of it, of Paul's right to receive financial support from the Corinthians? The reason the Corinthians and us, the reason they need to have all these arguments laid out to them about how Paul had this right is because he had refused to take wages from them. So it wasn't abundantly clear to them that he had that right because he had, he had refused to take any money from them. That's why he's, he's rolling out all this argument so they would be convinced in their mind from common, you know, common sense where you see other people, your soldiers and farmers, etc. It's in the Old Testament law, ox, even an animal gets to thrush in, in, in hope, right? And, and Jesus himself said the, the, the ones he sends out, they're worthy of their wages. Look at verse 12 there. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Well, the second half of the chapter explains that more fully. Here Paul says that he had not accepted financial support from the Corinthians, though he had every expectation, every freedom to do so. He had the right but though he had led them to Christ and established the church for them, he had laid aside his right to receive their financial support. Now think about this. Think about the sacrifice of that. 
especially in light of the fact that Paul had found himself in a great tradition. He was in a long line of spiritual leaders of God's people, a line that went back thousands and thousands of years, even from the beginning of creation, really. Adam was created to rule over the earth. God had made it, made it a garden-like world, replete with plants and, and trees, lush with an endless supply of delicious food, so that he might be paid, as it were, to rule over the earth. He was given a wage, if you will, by God to support him in this calling. He had been given everything he would need to live while he fulfilled what God asked of him. Think about Leviticus 6. I mean, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? That a man would be able to take part of a holy offering made to God and eat it himself? And yet that was God's provision for his priests. Those that he had asked to lead God's, God's family in worship. The priest and his sons and his families, their families might be fully devoted to their sacred work. They, they wouldn't have to worry about farming, for example, or, or tending a flock to secure income. But, but God had provided for them. But Paul even followed in the footsteps of Jesus in this. For even his earthly ministry was supported financially. That is Jesus's. Luke 8, verses 2 and 3, tell us that several different women provided for Jesus out of their own means. This is God's goodness to those he calls to lead his people. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Paul didn't take anything from the Corinthians because giving up money for people is great reward. Did you hear me? Giving up money for people is great reward. But how is Paul giving up money for the Corinthians' sake? How is he giving up money for those people? Well, verse 3 gives us a clue. Look back at it. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Now, that word examine there means to judge or, or, or question, question someone's motives or actions. So that had been happening. It may very well be that the Corinthians were watching Paul closely to see whether he was doing what he was doing primarily for the money, primarily to get paid. Now recall from earlier chapters that the Corinthians had been pitting leaders in the church against one another, you remember? I mean, like chapter 1 and verse 12, for example, he had said, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas. And they had argued and divided the church over this. But they had done so not based on gospel faithfulness, but rather out of their fleshly Greek culture of admiring philosophers who spoke with flourish and eloquence. But another part of that culture, now this is key, this historical context is key to the understanding of this text. Another part of that culture was that philosophers were supported financially by those who followed them. There was this tradition of wealthy men serving as patrons of the teachers, of the philosophers that they followed. 
And so Paul willingly laid down his right to be paid by the Corinthian church out of love for them. He didn't want them to see him as just another huckster. Just another guy coming into town to preach and get paid, paid to preach. It was all about getting paid. Strong brothers in Corinth had knowledge that pagan gods weren't real, and so they had the right to eat meat offered to them. So, too, Paul had knowledge that he had the right to receive his living from the church, but he laid it aside. He laid it aside out of love in the same way that he had asked the strong brothers in chapter 8 to lay aside their right for the weak brothers. Knowledge, we learned last week, is nothing without love. And love is how the church is built up. And that's great reward. To be part of that, friends, to be part of building up the church from your sacrifice is great reward. But love is often costly, as Paul found out, he knew all too well here. But Paul gave up his right to money for the people in Corinth's sake, for, for them. So that the saints would see that loving people was worth far more than demanding one's rights, he sacrificed his income. We read in other places that he was a tent maker. He worked a second job so that he could do stuff like this. You could go to Acts chapter 18 and verse 3 to see him doing tent making in Corinth. What a great sacrifice. Far greater sacrifice than, than simply giving up meat. But giving up the right to be honored and cared well for in order to serve people is what we learn from the Savior. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Rather than receive riches and all the honor and devotion from men that Jesus deserved, he had nowhere to lay his head, he would say in Luke 9, verse 58. No throne. No great resources. No payment from, from the people he came to serve. The Lord had the right to be worshipped, to be crowned as the King of Kings. He had the freedom to demand the world and the obedience of all its men, to be paid all the honor that everyone had. But he laid aside that right. He laid aside that right so that his rejection and his humiliation and death would be for the greatest possible good for those he loved. Paul followed the Lord's pattern of sacrificial love here. And so we see in the Apostle's example that giving up money for people is great reward. It's tapping into what Jesus has done for his people. It's truly uniting yourself to him by faith and living it out. Countless ministers of the gospel have made similar sacrifices for the people they labor for. They have come to learn this way of love, that, that, that the great reward of sacrifice is the people you serve, the good you bring to them by God's grace. So how will you apply this gospel principle to your life? What, what rights, just as I asked last week, frankly, but what rights are you willing to lay aside 
to love people, to build people up. How do you follow Jesus and Paul's example here that follows Jesus' example? How will you get in line, as it were, to lay down your freedoms, to lay down your rights in order to serve other people? Maybe it's in the area of giving sacrificially to the church. We don't talk a lot about this, but this is a key part of God's uh, provision. It's how pastors get paid. It's how missionaries get paid. It's how, how we support gospel partners around the world. Perhaps you need to think about your, your, your rights and freedoms with regard to your own resources in that regard, to sacrifice them. Maybe it's in the area of serving more when you think you haven't received the honor you thought you deserved in the past. Maybe you're feeling a, you know, a, a little blunted because somebody didn't you know, applaud for you in the past. Maybe it's sacrificing your right to enjoy a day of rest so that you can serve the poor in our community. You know, we've talked at, we, at the members meeting last week, we talked about administer justice, this new ministry we're thinking about. Be praying in this area, friend. Giving up your rights for the people God has placed around you is great reward. How is the Spirit calling you to respond today? Take a few moments of quiet reflection over that very thing and over the ministry of the Word to your soul today.